BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy last year by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Becoming a member at Navy Federal Credit Union could help you to earn more and save more. Their certificate options could earn you more than standard savings accounts with competitive rates. Not all financial institutions offer you as many choices for savings options as Navy Federal does. For example, you can start your savings journey with a low minimum deposit, add money at any time, and watch your savings grow. Thanks to flexible terms, you can use Navy Federal savings options for all kinds of goals, short or long term. Navy Federal also offers equity loan options to help you get the funds you need to consolidate high interest debt, work on home improvements, or cover any of life's big expenses. To learn more, visit NavyFederal.org. At Navy Federal, their members are the mission. Navy Federal is insured by NCUA, equal housing lender, membership required. Terms and conditions apply, loan subject to approval. Here at How to Money, we're always encouraging listeners to think about some of the different ways they can earn some money on the side to reach their financial goals. And guess what? While you're away, your home could also earn extra income. Your empty space could be an Airbnb while you're traveling, because that's all you need to become an Airbnb host. Yeah, hosting is a lot easier than you might think, and you don't need to Airbnb a whole house. You can just host your extra spare room. So consider becoming an Airbnb host, because your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at Airbnb.com slash host. Upswell Marketing would like to remind listeners that most people don't belong to two gyms. They don't see two dentists or trust two auto repair shops. So when customers choose your small business over your competitors, they're really choosing you. Upswell Marketing's unique approach includes direct mail, search engine marketing, and social media ads. And in fact, that formula and media mix has fueled more than 10,000 small business success stories. And new customers receive 15% off their first order when they mention that they heard about Upswell on this podcast. For more information, visit upswellmarketing.com. Welcome to How to Money. I'm Joel. And I am Matt. And today we are answering your listener questions. Right, it's a listener question Monday episode for everyone out there, and we've got some great questions that we're going to get to during this episode, including a question about debit reward cards. Uh, we have a listener who has received an unexpected tax bill. We're going to address that one, and then someone else they've got a uh, they've got a bone to pick regarding some advice that we gave. Bring it on uh, <laughs> <laughs> with uh, so some advice regarding a rule of thumb that we gave when it came to purchasing a vehicle, and we're going to talk about that in a, in a very kind, civilized, nuanced way. Yeah, they thought it was more a rule of dumb than a rule of thumb, <laughs> and uh, they might have a point. So we'll get You're to such it. an idiot. <laughs> <laughs> but first, man, I wanted to... I Basically, I've got a frugal or cheap here for you. Folks know, uh, if they've listened for a while, that I have a reluctance to go see the dentist. Uh, it's not something that I prioritize in my life. I did go recently. You've literally gone once in the past decade. Yes. Uh, but it was three months ago, <laughs> uh-huh. uh, and everything was totally fine. And that's a part of the reason why I don't like to go, because I know, based on my history, that my teeth, they're going to be all right. I literally had zero cavities. But that also means that we have four kids. And, and we haven't taken 
any of them to go see the dentist yet. Uh, our oldest is eight years old. And I will say, the reason we haven't taken them yet... Some would call that cruelty to children. Some but... would say that that is messed up. I know. but And so, uh, essentially, I guess, first of all, is that frugal or cheap, Joel? Um, it's good. I, I probably would have done it by now if I were you, but I get it. For anybody who's out there who has like traditional insurance through their employer, they're they're saying like, why, why not go? Why like, not? That exactly. It's basically like sure. a, either a cheap copay or it's completely free to go get a dental checkup for you or your child. And I would do that if it was something that was covered over the past decade. <laughs> but <laughs> but you've been working on your own. You have to yes. buy your own insurance. I haven't had dental in like 15 years. You and I are both now on you know medical sharing plans. And so it's completely out of pocket to do that. And I get your reluctance. Right. Well, and even in other countries, like you look to Europe, you look to the, the UK, man, their, their teeth are totally jacked. <laughs> and I'm not saying... We have, we have some UK listeners and they, I bet they have fine teeth. <laughs> well, it seems like it's not something that's as prioritized, right? And I think that's totally okay. I'm not saying that like I'm trying to like mess up my kid's teeth or anything, but we go to the doctor and they look in their mouths. Like that is something that our pediatrician does during their annual checkups. And I wanted to bring this up specifically because... Here in Georgia, there's this form. Uh, it's called, the, it's like Form 3300, basically. And every year, the school requires you to have that form filled out. Uh, vision, physical health, nutrition. Well, dental is also a category on there. Um, but our pediatrician, they always fail to sign off on that, that category, they even want, though... They want you to have a dentist do it. Well, yeah, but the thing is... The Georgia Department of Health, they say that it is okay because there's a spot on there for you to check physician and to sign your name. But it's it's just interesting because it's always something that they avoid doing. It's very clear that they don't like to do that. They'd, I don't know whether it's a liability thing or if they just want to encourage you to go see the dentist. But I wanted to mention that because, A, if there are any Georgia listeners out there, know that you can have a pediatrician sign off on that form. But I think also in other states, if there are forms that are similar to this uh, that the schools require... See if your pediatrician, see if your primary doctor uh, is able to sign off on that. And instead of scheduling that separate, you know, dental appointment where you're potentially, if you're self-employed, especially paying a lot of money, that's something you can avoid. I just wanted to put that tip out there for folks. Uh, I know we're probably going to receive a little, me specifically, I'm going to receive some hate mail for that. That being said... Our kids are, they're getting their permanent teeth in and he, things. He's at How to Money Matt on Twitter, uh, if you want to <laughs> hate there. Uh, although I'm never on there. That's true. Um, I need to, I would like to remedy that, but I just, yeah, I'm not on Twitter these days as much. But I did want to share that our kids, they're starting to get their permanent teeth in, right? Like they've lost the baby teeth. And I will say with your permanent adult teeth, the stakes are a little bit higher. With the baby teeth, I'm like, all right, it's not that big of a deal. They're all straight. There's no cavities. The doctor says everything's okay. They're not feeling any pain. What's the point of even going in? But now that the permanent teeth are coming in, like we've made it clear to them, hey, these are teeth, like the teeth that you see in my mouth, those are the same teeth that are now growing into your mouth. <laughs> Just like connecting the fact that like you have to keep these things for the rest of your life. Right, so yeah. take it, care of them, floss exactly. your teeth, brush your teeth. We're really disciplined when it comes to oral care. So before you send in those hate emails, I want you to know that we are going to, you know, take Evie specifically to go see the uh, the dentist at some I, point. I think that's year. a good idea. I mean, she's she's eight years old. I think that's probably a, a really smart time. I mean, I think the American Society of Pediatric Dentists or whatever suggests that you start going at age two and go every six months. And of course they do. That sounds like overkill. It sounds like big dental. To be uh, honest. <laughs> <laughs> right. And like, yeah, to be honest, Just as an kidding. adult, like going, I think once a year to me feels sufficient. Um, it, it's one of those things where almost nobody does the actual recommended uh, like amount. Every like six months like or whatever. Who gets their oil changed every 3,000 miles? I mean, lots of people stretch it out to 5,000 miles. And yeah. you know what? That's 
okay too, I think. Um, so we all have to make trade-offs and especially when you're talking about sending four kids to the dentist every six months, like that could add up. Yeah. Um, but, but yeah, there's also, uh, the reality that an actual dental professional should look at their teeth. Um, and yeah. again, Let's get off medical stuff because <laughs> we we never give good medical advice. This we don't. is literally just we, we border, yeah, we're always cheap. A when personal it comes human to, example that we're sharing, <laughs> that's and that's do not take this as medical advice. Please take your kid to the dentist as often as you see fit. Absolutely, and, and it's, it, same for you. Go go as often as you need to go. Yeah, you have the freedom to make this decision on your own. And you also have the freedom to send Matt an email telling him how dummy <laughs> it's like that. You have both of those freedoms. Yes, you do. <laughs> All right, let's move on to the beer that we're having on this episode. It's called Le Petit Prince, and it's by Chester King Brewing. They are uh, one of the best breweries in the nation out of Austin, Texas. And uh, yeah, we'll give our thoughts on this beer at the end of the episode. Looking forward to sharing this one, bud. Okay, but let's get on to listener questions. And if you've got a question for Matt and me, yeah, you're, please submit it to us. We'd love to hear from you. Go Just go to howtomoney.com slash ask. There are simple instructions there for you to submit your money question, and we'd love to take it on a future episode. But Matt, this first question is actually less of a question, and it's more of a pushback on that rule of thumb that we offered when it came to carbon. Hi, Joel and Matt. This is Rob in Columbia, Maryland. I listened intently to your new car buying episode. I've promised my well-worn RAV4 to my daughter in October when she gets her license, and I'll need a new car. Uh, My income has increased significantly since buying my last car, and I currently draw a modest car allowance from my company. As a result, I'm in a position to spend more on a car than I ever have in the past, which I guess is good given inflation. In any event, Matt had given a budget formula of net worth plus income times 10% for purchase price. Here's the thing. I think this needs to be adjusted for expected net worth based on age and income, similar to the wealth accumulation predictors in The Millionaire Next Door. Track with me. Even with a conservative estimate of my net worth, not using my home equity or equity in my business, and my base salary income only, my calculation comes to $80,000, which would be sweet. I'd buy that Grand Cherokee you guys were talking about. I certainly could have fun with that number, but I couldn't imagine you guys recommending I spend that much. What do you think? I understand what you're trying to do, which is stopping a person with a good salary and no or negative net worth from over leveraging, but maybe there's a way to index. I really appreciate it. Oh, and here's a great Maryland beer. Try Nanticoke Nectar from RAR Brewing in Cambridge, Maryland. I think you'll really enjoy it. All right, Matt. I think it's it's probably good that we got pushback on on this car buying formula. And you know what? We kind of we kind of like feedback when someone oh, disagrees. Absolutely. And 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 here's the thing: like, one, we want to admit we're not right all the time. That's for sure. And uh, there there's a lot of wisdom out there that our listeners have. And so we we really appreciate totally. Rob sharing his thoughts with us on this question. And just before we get to even kind of our thoughts on that, you know, what's amazing about the craft beer scene these days is. I don't think I don't know if you had ever heard of RAR Brewing before. Nope. No, yeah, I, I had not either. <laughs> not at all. But we looked them up, and it looks like uh, man, they've got some really tasty looking beers out oh, there. Yeah. We, we don't get them here in Atlanta, sadly, but maybe one of these days they'll start distributing. And Matt, since this is kind of the rule of thumb that you came up with, I'm going to let you maybe uh, start <laughs> tackling sure. his pushback first. Yeah. Okay, so Rob, you know, like I totally hear where he's coming from, and like basically I agree with everything that he's saying there, right? Like the less you can spend on a car, the better. Uh, 
rules of thumb are always tough to implement. <laughs> you know, like think about an instance, like like when is a one size fits all rule? Like when has that ever been an excellent fit for anybody out there? But generally speaking, I actually do believe that if you have that much net worth, then you should enjoy some of the financial freedom that you've built up for yourself. It's not that I think that you must spend $80,000 on a new ride, but that if you wanted to, that it wouldn't have a major negative impact on your financial freedom. It sounds like you are a very financially savvy uh, and frugal guy, but I doubt that you'd even want to drop that kind of money. Uh, but especially as folks begin to advance in their years, I think rules of thumb like this can be just a healthy way to challenge our ways of thinking uh, and just to ensure that you know we're not saving too much money later on in life. Yeah, Matt, I think, I think what you're getting at here is that just because you can spend a certain amount of money, just because that rule of thumb allows for you to do that, it doesn't mean that you should, right? Sure, uh, it doesn't, exactly. It doesn't mean that like uh, Rob should go out tomorrow and buy that <laughs> Jeep Grand Wagoneer yeah. or whatever it is, uh, which I, I saw on the parking deck the other day at our local Publix and they're pretty cool looking. Randomly, I was at Publix. So that never <laughs> happens. But um, yeah, it, they are cool looking, but they're very expensive. I believe you backstab an Aldi <laughs> and Costco. <laughs> Those bogos of Publix are pretty sweet from time to time. Okay. And uh, yeah, when I'm smoking pork butt, that's where I get my pork butts. Uh. But uh, yeah, when we discussed that formula, we noted how we have opted to own cars that cost substantially less than what that formula would allow for us to purchase. And, and that's because Matt and I, we view cars for the most part as point A to point B transportation. They're very utilitarian in our mm -hmm. minds. I don't think of my car. I'm not attached to it. The other day I was like, should I be self-conscious sitting in my powder blue uh, old school Honda minivan sitting in traffic? No, because I don't care because yep. it doesn't matter to me. Other exactly. people, they, they do care about and they feel like a car, their car is a representation of themselves. That's not how we view it. The The one exception, the one obvious exception being the Rivian, which is a work of art. Uh, it's <laughs> the most beautiful truck ever created. But uh, <laughs> I truly think you probably are going to own a Rivian in like, one of these like days. 10 years or something. I think like I that. will. You'll, yes. In 10 years, will you buy a five-year-old Rivian truck? Probably. Yeah. I can see that happening. Yeah, okay. uh, <laughs> but but of, of course, because we view vehicles like this, it means that we want to keep our vehicle bu budgets minuscule. But we're also talking to people who, a lot of listeners who don't necessarily feel that way. And so we, we do want folks to feel a certain amount of freedom in this area of their finances. And we don't want to artificially constrain people to view the world or view their cars the way we do. Um, while we would suggest that spending less on vehicles overall is something that is going to help you build wealth faster. And it's something we're in favor of. We would also say like, if you meet those rule of thumb requirements, like you could buy a nicer car and yeah, not feel guilty about absolutely. it. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, and I'm, I'm thinking back to you about like what the point of a rule of thumb is, which is to like easily calculate and remember something that can get murky at times, right? Uh, and it can also be really valuable for folks who aren't willing to dive into the, the charts and the indexes to determine the exact amount that they should actually spend on a car. You know, like they're likely not going to spend the time and crunch the numbers, but those are the folks that could use a simple rule of thumb the most. You know, whereas someone who is willing to put in the time and the effort, they likely, you know, they don't need the rule of thumb as much. So I still see it as a solid general advice. It makes me think of like the 25X rule, right? Where you can quickly determine how much money you need to have invested for retirement mm -hmm. in order to retire. But I, it's easy for me to remember that rule because it's the 25X rule. Obviously, we're not diving into the particulars. We're not diving into how much you're 
you know, we're expecting inflation to be. We're not diving into how much you're planning to inflate your lifestyle down the road or cut back on your lifestyle. What age you're retiring. Yes, exactly. What sort of asset allocation you have decided to choose. But it's still a good general rule of thumb that gets you in the ballpark. And it can just quickly help you to see how close you are to that goal of retirement. And so in the same way, I see this rule of thumb when it comes to cars as a still a very helpful tool. Yeah. And it's fitting, I think, that Rob mentioned the book, The Millionaire Next Door, because, yeah, in that book, they found that millionaires mostly drive Hondas and Toyotas. Yeah. Um, and I think in the first edition, it was Ford Explorers, maybe? Yeah. Which but, I, I, always stands up my mind because I still remember seeing a Ford Explorer for the first time in Jurassic Park uh, because <laughs> that was like the vehicle that they had. You remember that? That's right. The yeah. T-Rex originally attacked it because I was a kid. Ever since I saw that movie, I always saw them as like way cooler. <laughs> and I thought that like, oh, cool. Millionaires, they know what's up. <laughs> but in reality, they are just good, affordable vehicles. Yeah. At least they were like 15 years ago. Mostly utilitarian, right? Yeah. And, and driving that kind of car, specifically choosing to drive a, an older Corolla or a uh, or even a Ford Explorer, that doesn't automatically make someone a millionaire. It's not that formulaic, right? Right. right. But uh, on the flip, the flip side of the coin is true as well. Just because someone is a millionaire doesn't mean they have to drive an old beater. And, you know, I remember having J.L. Collins on the show, Matt, and he talked about buying a brand new Subaru. And a lot of people would say, that's it terrible thing to do buying new cars anybody who knows anything about money would say don't ever buy a new car but we talked to him about how he did it how he did it intelligently and we, we've got an article on, on the site too about how buying new cars is not the worst thing you could do it just for most people it doesn't make sense because sure. they've got yep. other priorities and and even for people who are well established in, in their journey towards financial independence like rob it probably still doesn't make sense because he has other priorities that he wants to achieve and so yeah there's totally. just, there are a lot of different ways to live a wealthy life yes but but yeah, yeah, I think the rule of thumb like this can not only keep our car spending in check early on in our financial independence journey, but yeah, it can also expand our horizons a little bit. And you know, when we've got a lot of money socked away in investments, it can be an especially helpful exercise after years or decades of hard work and frugal living to help you realize, guess what? I can loosen the purse strings a little bit. And yeah. I didn't yeah. save this money <laughs> to, to uh, live a life of austerity from now until I die. Like yeah. <laughs> Part of the reason to save is to then be able to spend effectively on things that you care about. Yeah. And again, I know that's so weird to hear from like the two seemingly cheapest dudes out there. The dudes who, uh, <laughs> or the dude who won't take his kids to the dentist. Yes. Hey, that's because I'm willing to sacrifice when it comes to my kids' teeth, but not my, my fancy Rivian. I was going to say, if you start just, driving a Rivian and you kidding. won't take your kids to the dentist, that will uh, <laughs> that will rile up the fans. No, it is something that Kate and I have revisited, and we're gonna we've got our priorities straight. But it is true. I think it can be difficult to break out of that mindset of. We save. We are frugal. We always buy cars that are at least seven years old, if not even older. Uh, and like you said, this is just a good exercise to kind of remove ourselves from that fra- framework a little bit and be like, oh, actually, you know, we we can afford to buy a car that's forty thousand dollars or forty five thousand dollars if it's something that you prioritize. That that is something that is within your reach. Yeah, for sure. All right. Well, um, yeah, Rob, thank you for that pushback. Yeah. Again. yeah. Hopefully, we gave a thoughtful response. And uh, yeah, we've got more questions to get to, including one about a cousin of five twenty nine accounts. We'll we'll get. To that and more right after this break. So we've mentioned on the show how we've got a Dominican trip coming up. We're going to celebrate, Joel, you and Emily. You're both turning 40 this year, so we're doing it up right. And a lot of listeners, they might have trips of their own planned. 
And sometimes those vacations can get expensive. So what better way to offset some of those costs than to have your home earning some money while you're away? Yeah, that's right. Why let it sit empty when it can be earning extra income on your behalf? It's a smart and practical thing to do. So think it through. Maybe you have some extra space in your home. Maybe you have a whole house to host. Or maybe you're going on vacation and your home is just going to be sitting empty. In every case, you can Airbnb it. You already have the space, so it won't be a huge adjustment. Yeah, I mean, the way I see it, if you're not using your space, you've got two options. You can either let it just sit there empty, or you can do some optimizing and make some money off of it. Really, if you think about it, you already have an Airbnb. You just need to start using it. Your home, it might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at Airbnb.com slash host. Joel, I think there are a lot of folks who start small businesses and they're surprised at the amount of behind the scenes, the admin type work that they're not all that thrilled about. Getting your books together with uh, with some final figures so that you can file your corporate taxes, for instance. That's something we've been in the middle of. But it can really gum up the gears, potentially keeping you from doing the work you love. If this is you, you should know these three numbers. 37,000. 25 and 1. That's right. Yeah, 37,000, that's the number of businesses which have upgraded to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, streamlining accounting, financial management, inventory, HR, and more. 25. NetSuite turns 25 this year. That's 25 years of helping businesses do more with less, close their books in days, not weeks, and drive down costs. And one, because your business is one of a kind. So you get a customized solution for all of your KPIs, key performance indicators, in one efficient system with one source of truth. Manage risk, get reliable forecasts, and improve margins. Everything you need to grow, all in one place. There's a lot of power in the simplification of having all that information in one place. Helps you make better decisions. That's right. And right now, download NetSuite's popular KPI checklist designed to give you consistently excellent performance absolutely free at netsuite.com slash howtomoney. That's netsuite.com slash howtomoney to get your own KPI checklist. netsuite.com slash howtomoney. Hey, folks, it's Matt. I've got to tell you about something new I've been trying this year. I've been drinking a little Health Aid kombucha every day, and I feel amazing. It comes in so many delicious flavors, but my favorites so far are Pink Lady Apple and Ginger Lemon. So what exactly is Health Aid kombucha? Well, it is a fermented, bubbly probiotic tea that's good for your gut. It's blended with real fruit juice, and it's super thirst-quenching, a little sweet and a little tangy, and very refreshing. I'm sure you've heard about the importance of gut health and supporting uh, your overall health. It's something I've read up on a good bit over the past year, which is why I've made Health Aid Kombucha a part of my everyday routine. Literally every afternoon, I'll have some. It's super easy, and it's affordable, too. My favorite grocery store, Aldi, they carry it as well. If you want to give it a try and see how great you can feel, look for the brown bottle with an anchor and make Health Aid Kombucha your go-to for a healthier, happier you. A big part of being a responsible adult is taking care of the things you care about. For instance, my bike that I ride in to work on. I keep the tires pumped. I keep the chain greased. Gone are the days of leaving your bike out in the rain for weeks at a time, like a kid. (laughs) Simply put, the things futures are built around are the things worth protecting. And making an estate plan now means gaining security of your assets and peace of mind for you and your loved ones. With Trust & Will, you can create and manage a custom estate plan starting at just $199. Go to trustandwill.com slash howtomoney for 10% off plus free document shipping. As the primary breadwinner for our family, I've taken the steps to ensure that Kate and the kids that they're going to be taken care of if something terrible happens to me. Each will or trust is state-specific and customized to your needs. Their simple step-by-step process guides you from start to finish with ease. 
So get the peace of mind you deserve by creating your estate plan with Trust and Will. Secure your assets and protect your loved ones with Trust and Will. Get 10% off plus free shipping of your estate plan documents by visiting trustandwill.com slash howtomoney. That's 10% off and free shipping at trustandwill.com slash howtomoney. All right, we are back, and our next question comes from a listener who is wanting to know whether or not they should go with a financial planner. Let's hear that question. Hi, guys. My name is Sarah. I'm uh, calling from Denver, Colorado. I have a question about comprehensive financial planning. My husband has been approached by an old buddy of his to hire him for this service. I haven't specifically heard of comprehensive financial planning, but as I understand it, you know, it takes all of your financial background and information and helps you identify holes and make strategic decisions to fill any gaps that you may have. Um, We are 40 years old, mid-career, have some wealth built up, and are mostly investing in index funds through Vanguard at this point. We have been thinking about expanding out from the stock market to broaden our portfolio, and maybe this is a great way to find out what our best options are when we don't have much time or expertise to do this ourselves. Curious if you think it's worth the money and, frankly, the time to go over all of this um, with them, or are we better served continuing to do this on our own? It's a flat fee of fifteen hundred for one year. Then after that, you sort of pay as needed. You know, when you require a tune-up or, or whatever. Um, anyway, appreciate any insight you can give, and uh, thank you very much. Love the podcast. Ooh, all right, Sarah. Combining money and an old friendship that can be a tough one. Sarah's bringing the heat when it comes to difficult questions. I will uh, say, you and I were friends. We combine money well. I mean, we don't true. share our assets, but we're also not trying to sell each other stuff. <laughs> <laughs> um, because Sarah, like, obviously, like, you don't want to hurt your friend's feelings, but you also don't want to give him your business without doing your due diligence, and that involves finding out what his credentials are. So, for instance, is he a CFP, a uh, certified financial planner? And if so, is he a fee-only fiduciary? Uh, if he's not, then I wouldn't suggest going any further <laughs> because those are some important qualifications. It sounds like you are you know, talking about a one-time fee in order to get this comprehensive plan, but 1500 bucks that is a lot of money. I would definitely want some more information on what a comprehensive financial plan looks like from his standpoint, uh, because you likely don't need help picking investments. Many financial advisors, they do help uh, in other areas, right? Like budgeting, debt payoff plans, tax planning, even uh, like college admission advice these days. But if you feel comfortable in all of those areas, then it sounds like y'all might be doing great on your own. Uh, again, 1500 bucks that seems like a lot to pay. And I think, honestly, even the fact that he's calling it a, a comprehensive financial plan, I feel like they're using that language to justify the large fee, right? It sound nice. Yeah, know? it's like, oh, this is a full kind of package deal. They're going like to certified pre-owned on a car. It's like, <laughs> wait a second, you gave it a ten thousand point inspection. Ten thousand points. That's... It must be worth three thousand dollars more now. Exactly. And so I think that's just something to keep in mind. Like, what is it that he's actually looking to provide? You can even ask him some of those questions. Like, what kind of advice might you give to somebody in our stage of life? You know, maybe find a way to like get a taste of the goods without having actually signed on the line. Right. Yeah. No, I agree. And I think it doesn't sound like this was on Sarah's radar before this approach happened. And I think that's an important thing to mention here because if it wasn't on your radar before Sarah, you felt like you were doing good in your financial progress and you didn't have any questions, then I don't know, maybe this isn't necessarily the right step for you. But if you felt like you were stalling in your progress or you're having doubts about how to proceed, then I think looking to a planner could make sense. It could be helpful. So yeah, I guess the question is like, how comfortable do you feel with the current plan that you and your family have in place? Mm -hmm. And yeah, if you have maybe extra money that you've come into 
and you're not quite sure what to do with it. Or, yeah, you've got bigger, more audacious goals that you want to accomplish in the near future that some time with a professional could help you hone in on. And then to achieve those goals more effectively, more quickly, more efficiently, then I think that can make sense. But I I want to stress, too, it's not that financial advisors are never helpful. Matt, you outlined some of the advice that they can give. And for some folks, they need that advice and they need that personal advice and they need the handholding that goes along with it. Right. So, yeah, it can totally be the right move for some people. But it's also a potentially expensive tune-up, especially for Sarah, when her family is already in tip-top shape based on the details that she shared. Yeah. I don't know that this is necessarily the, the best thing for her. Yeah, and Sarah mentioned uh, broadening her portfolio, right? Kind of expanding what it is that they're invested in. And, you know, I guess it depends on what you mean by that, Sarah. Like, are we talking about investing in real estate, you know, locally there where you live? Because if so, like, that's not something that a financial advisor typically helps you with. Or, or even if you're looking at investing in, like, a real estate syndication, because that's something that you usually strike out on, you know, your own with the excess cash that you're looking to grow and invest. And even if you're looking to reduce the volatility of your portfolio, that's something that you can easily do with a target date fund that includes bonds, where it increases those holdings as you approach that target date. You know, most of these other alternative investments that you could consider as well, they come with higher fees along with other downsides. We actually talked about a lot of those options back in episode 446. You know, a lot of folks have heard about Masterworks. That, that seems like the sophisticated route to take when it comes to expanding your portfolio, you think. I, I invest in fine art. <laughs> that's, what the, that's what the top tier investors are doing out there. Uh, but when in reality, you're owning just a tiny little slice, a tiny little sliver of maybe a very small painting. Yeah. <laughs> and, and then the fees that are associated with that, right? Like Masterworks, I think they they take something like a 20% cut of the final price of uh, a piece of artwork once it sells, which obviously that's going to eat into the uh, the gain that you've realized over the years. Uh, A lot of times the grass seems greener on the other side. You think you have to get a little more complicated with it when actually you're doing just fine with the index funds. Yeah. And I think sometimes a conversation like this can start to make your brain spin. You're like, wait, wait a second. Am I am I missing out? There's a lot out there. I don't know. Yeah. And it sounds like Sarah has, is taking like all of the most important steps. And But these sorts of conversations or this sort of run in with somebody offering their services can, can start to make those wheels turn. And you, you might feel like, oh, do I need outside help? And, 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 you know, maybe you do. But you also have to make sure that that if you actually do, that you're talking to the right person. And yep. so, yeah, XY Planning Network is the place that we suggest people turn if they're looking for an advisor. And that's because they do meet that fiduciary standard. Mm-hmm. They are fee-only planners. And you can, yeah, reach out to a couple of folks in your area who are listed on that site. And then you can interview them to see if they're a good fit for what you're actually looking for. You can proactively ask questions and say, what sort of financial planning do you do you offer? I'm in this sort of situation. What, what would you suggest for me? Like, how can you meet my needs? And you can interview a few people to find the right advisor for you, not just going to a friend of a friend or an old school friend that you haven't talked to for a while. Somebody who just shows up on your doorstep or, yeah. Right. Where you receive a random text out of the blue. Exactly. Yeah. And so, again, I think, uh, can an advisor help refine what you're doing? Yes, but finding the right one is crucial. And then, yeah, bottom line, is it necessary for you to continue to succeed with your money and your investments? Do you have to have someone in your corner that you pay? No, no, you don't. So, yeah, Sarah, <laughs> we don't necessarily have firm advice for you to move forward with, but hopefully enough food for thought for you to make a, a smart decision. Totally. Yeah. And one one additional benefit too, Sarah, is if this is a friend who is a little bit closer to your husband, you're able to actually keep them in the friend zone, right? Like <laughs> you don't have to become business partners or you don't have to become a customer necessarily. Sometimes relationships like that can complicate things when instead you just want to be able to get together and enjoy beer. Uh, Joe, let's get to our next question. This listener is asking about a special account 
account that we have never talked about on this show. In some ways, it's even better than the Roth IRA. Uh, Let's hear it. Hey, Matt and Joe. Uh, This is Jeff from Wisconsin. Big fan of the podcast. Uh, Was just hoping I've done a lot of research uh, on ABLE accounts as a person with a disability and uh, trying to figure out if it's something that fits my situation was wondering if you two could do a deep dive into the accounts and some of the pros and cons behind them. And also if any specific states have the best accounts from like a fee perspective, as well as from investing perspective. Appreciate your insights. Thanks. Matt, you're right. How have we never talked about ABLE accounts on the show? I don't know. First time for everything. Yeah. But yeah, uh, first of all, let's let's kind of define the terms. ABLE stands for Achieving a Better Life Experience. And these accounts are pretty awesome. They're also relatively new. They've been around for like seven or eight years. And yeah, they're kind of like a cousin to 529 accounts. And they're sometimes referred to as 529A accounts. And yeah, it's not because you have to use them for education purposes, but but it's because they're state run, similar to the 529 accounts that we talk about for saving for education and in particular saving for higher education, although you can use those 529 accounts for private school education if you want to earlier on. Totally. I almost see these more as like state run Roth IRAs, essentially. Yeah, pretty much. Specifically for disabled folks, right? Uh, to be able to build up some financial security mm-hmm. while making sure that they don't simultaneously lose government benefits. That is the main thing that ABLE accounts are trying to accomplish. That's right. Yeah. So to qualify for an ABLE account, you must have been diagnosed with a significant disability before you turn 26. Uh, and then you can use the funds that you build up in an ABLE account to pay for what are called qualified disability expenses. Uh, And so then the next question is, well, what is a qualified disability expense? What does that mean? Congress, they left that definition pretty broad. (laughs) Uh, If you can qualify an expense as something that assists you in managing your health, your independence, or quality of life, then it counts. And so expenses within the category of education, job training, housing, transportation, these could all be reasonable uses of that money that you're socking away in your ABLE account, which means that you can justify and use a lot of that money within that ABLE account for your life expenses. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, and and savingforcollege.com, which does a great job breaking down 529 college savings accounts in general, they, they also have a great list on their site showing which states offer ABLE accounts and then what the fees look like. So they give yeah. that, that fee breakdown. And then the uh, there's also the ABLE National Resource Center, which allows you to easily compare plans. So we'll link to both of those in the show notes. Here's the thing. Most states do offer an ABLE account, but sadly, Jeff, your home state of Wisconsin doesn't. I'm kind of it's like su- surprised to hear about one it. of four states in the entire country that doesn't uh, offer one. Yeah, I'm surprised. Wisconsin, yeah. come on, do better than that. But yeah, there are plenty of other state plans that you can participate in, even if you aren't a resident. So it's not like it's yeah. a huge deal. But yeah, make sure that you look to those two resources to find the able account that works best for you, specifically one that has hyper low fees when it comes to yeah the investment choices. Yeah, Jeff. And when you start comparing plans, you might be surprised to see that some of the expense ratios are a bit higher than what you're used to seeing with the low-cost providers for retirement like Fidelity or Vanguard or Schwab, or, or even completely free with you know some of Fidelity's funds. But the additional benefits that you'd receive from an ABLE account, if you qualify, are a good bit better than what you'd even get with a Roth IRA. And so with both accounts, contributions are made with post-tax money, and then you invest the money in those accounts so that you can enjoy and put those gains to use tax-free later down the road. 
But with an ABLE account, it's not just the owner of the account who can contribute. Friends and family, they can also make contributions if they're so inclined. Uh, that is not something that you can do with a Roth IRA. Yeah, Matt, and, and on that note, another advantage that the ABLE has over the Roth is that if you have generous friends and family, they, they can contribute up to a maximum of $16,000 annually. Yeah. And that's a whole lot more than what you can put in an IRA. And then, yeah, in addition to that $16,000 contribution limit, ABLE account owners can contribute their own compensation too, up to the federal poverty level for, for your state. And so, yeah, that means an additional almost $13,000 uh, in, 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 if you live in Wisconsin for a grand total of $28,880, which is a lot of money that you that can sock away for your future. A ton of money. That is awesome. Yeah. So if you're really saving and investing that much money in there, it's worth noting that if your account balance exceeds a hundred thousand uh, dollars, you know, let's say you do that consistently for four or five years, it's like, oh man, you're you're starting to hit that point. That will start to impact your SSI benefits. So it's important to keep that in mind. That's right. Yeah. That is one downside if you are getting really serious about funding your able account. However. That does not, if you go above that $100,000, it does not have an impact on your ability uh, or your eligibility to receive Medicaid. And so, Jeff, yeah, if you qualify for one of these accounts, this is a great place for you to start putting money uh, for your future, for your living expenses. We'd encourage you to, to put money in there and just to make sure that you actually start investing it so that you can grow it for your future. And on that note, uh, the next question that we're going to get to touches on that concept, actually investing money uh, as opposed to it sitting just within a brokerage account uninvested, and we'll get to that one plus another right after this break. So we've mentioned on the show how we've got a Dominican trip coming up. We're going to celebrate, Joel, you and Emily. You're both turning 40 this year, so we're doing it up right. And a lot of listeners, they might have trips of their own planned and sometimes those vacations can get expensive. So what better way to offset some of those costs than to have your home earning some money while you're away? Yeah, that's right. Why let it sit empty when it can be earning extra income on your behalf? It's a smart and practical thing to do. So think it through. Maybe you have some extra space in your home. Maybe you have a whole house to host. Or maybe you're going on vacation and your home is just going to be sitting empty. In every case, you can Airbnb it. You already have the space, so it won't be a huge adjustment. Yeah, I mean, the way I see it, if you're not using your space, you've got two options. You can either let it just sit there empty, or you can do some optimizing and make some money off of it. Really, if you think about it, you already have an Airbnb. You just need to start using it. Your home, it might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at Airbnb.com host. Hey, folks, it's Matt. I've got to tell you about something new I've been trying this year. I've been drinking a little Health Aid kombucha every day, and I feel amazing. It comes in so many delicious flavors, but my favorites so far are Pink Lady Apple and Ginger Lemon. So what exactly is Health Aid kombucha? Well, it is a fermented, bubbly probiotic tea that's good for your gut. It's blended with real fruit juice, and it's super thirst-quenching, a little sweet and a little tangy, and very refreshing. I'm sure you've heard about the importance of gut health and supporting uh, your overall health. It's something I've read up on a good bit over the past year, which is why I've made Health Aid Kombucha a part of my everyday routine. Literally every afternoon, I'll have some. It's super easy, and it's affordable, too. My favorite grocery store, Aldi, they carry it as well. If you want to give it a try and see how great you can feel, look for the brown bottle with an anchor and make Health Aid Kombucha your go-to for a healthier, happier you. And now a word from the show's sponsors at Betterment. Do you want your money to dream big? Do you want your money to be a total self-starter? Are you annoyed that your money doesn't work hard enough? Don't worry. Betterment is here to help. Betterment is the automated investing and savings app that makes your money hustle. 
Their automated technology is built to help maximize returns, meaning when you invest with Betterment, your money can auto-adjust as you get closer to your goal. Rebalance if your portfolio gets too far out of line and your dividends are automatically reinvested. That can increase the potential for compound returns. In other words, your money is breaking a sweat while you can be breaking bread. You'll never picture your money the same way again. Betterment, the automated investing and savings app that makes your money hustle. Visit Betterment.com to get started. Investing involves risk. Performance is not guaranteed. I got my first life insurance policy almost a decade ago. And hey, I'm still kicking it. I very much hope that trend continues, Matt. And since then, I've actually added coverage via Policy Genius. And if you out there, you're listening and you're worried that this is going to be a massive pain getting life insurance, think again. Policy Genius made it an incredibly easy process. If you have loved ones who rely on you and your income, life insurance is a crucial part of your financial plan. Not only does it provide a financial backstop for your family, it also gives you peace of mind too. Plus, the longer you wait, the more rates go up because life insurance rates typically increase as you get older. So if this is something you've been putting off, it's time to make it happen now. That's right. Yeah. And even if you already have a life insurance policy through work, it may not offer enough protection for your family's needs. And it may not follow you if you leave your job. With Policy Genius, you can find life insurance policies that start at just $292 per year for $1 million of coverage. Some options offer same-day approval and avoid unnecessary medical exams. So save time and money and provide your family with a financial safety net using Policy Genius. Head to policygenius.com to get your free life insurance quotes and see how much you could save. That's policygenius.com. All right, Matt, let's take a couple more questions. Uh, we've got one actually about rewards debit cards. Do those actually exist? Well, do they exist? They, they do. We'll That's get to that question. in just a second. <laughs> but, but first, let's get to a tax issue that one of our listeners is running into. Good morning. My name is Amy, and I live in the Seattle area. I have a question about taxes. Last year, I moved my Vanguard funds from Money Market Fund to a Target Date 2030 fund. I uh, didn't realize at the time that I would receive dividends and gains. I received 9000 in dividends last year and 52000 in gains. So it bumped my income up to $177,000. And now my taxes, uh, I'm in a higher tax bracket. My taxes are almost $9,000. Last year, my taxes were $300, so I'm a little freaked out by this. And I'm wondering if there's anything I can do to reduce my tax bill. I have to take the standard deduction because I don't have high enough itemized deductions. So any help with this would be greatly appreciated. Thanks so much. All right, Amy, thank you for your question. And first of all, I wanted to say great job taking that money that you had with Vanguard and actually investing that money so that it'll grow for your future, for your retirement. Uh, you know, when it sits there in Vanguard's, it's called the Federal Money Market uh, Fund, which is also known as Vanguard Settlement Fund. It is actually not growing. It's basically this default account that your money is automatically swept into, where the performance over the past five years is something like 1%, but currently it's literally zero. <laughs> and so this means that uh, until last year, until 
until that money was invested in your target date fund, you were losing money to inflation. So that explains actually why you're seeing these dividends and gains within your portfolio. It's a good thing. All right. So now that we have that technicality out of the way, Joel, it's time to talk about some taxes. Everyone's favorite topic. Oh, man. <laughs> Everybody loves talking taxes. It's uh, Especially this time of year when they're <laughs> knee deep in it. Right. Exactly. And uh, But let's talk about taxable accounts versus tax advantaged accounts for a second, Matt, because that is a huge part of Amy's question yeah. and at least beneath the surface. So yeah, when you change your asset allocation inside of a tax advantaged account, like a Roth IRA or a 401k, there are no tax consequences for you. But if you decide to take all the money you've invested up to this point and take it out of that target date index fund and go all in on, let's say, Tesla stock, right? Uh, th- there's there's no worries for you <laughs> from a tax perspective if you're inside of one of those tax-advantaged funds. It's obviously just a horrible decision yeah, from, okay. a, from a, a diversification <laughs> standpoint. Don't do that. Uh, <laughs> right. Nor should you invest in Rivian. <laughs> but you won't owe any taxes on trades you make inside of those accounts. You can become a day trader in your Roth IRA if you wanted to, and it's a terrible decision, but at least from a tax standpoint, there's uh, no harm, no foul. That's right. You're off the hook. Uh, that's true. But the same isn't true if we're talking about making these same changes, these same moves in a regular taxable brokerage account. Uh, Because when you buy and sell individual stocks or even index funds or bond funds, whatever it is that you're holding, that will result in a tax consequence. So that's another reason why we love tax advantage accounts so much, why we recommend them, uh, especially before you start considering a taxable brokerage account. Because if you want to do that, if you want to reallocate, you won't get hit with a tax bill. Uh, but how much will you owe if you are facing that tax liability within a taxable account? Well, it depends on how long you hold on to that asset. If you hold on to it just for a few days, even a few months, you're going to pay ordinary income tax on any gains that you realized. However, if you hold it for over a year, you'll owe the capital gains tax rate, which is 15% for most folks if you're not a, a top tier earner. That's right. Yeah. And, and Amy, we don't have the full picture here necessarily based on your question, but we'll do our best to give you a helpful answer. And yeah, just because there have been gains on the account, it doesn't mean that you actually owe a big tax bill. Like You'll only owe more in taxes if those gains were in a brokerage account and you decided to make a sale, which it doesn't sound like that's what you did last year. So no. yeah, I'm not sure if there's just confusion or what, but we'd suggest talking to a CPA who does taxes about your situation before you submit your tax return, because there's a good chance that you're seeing paper gains, which are great. It's nice to see um, earnings and dividends, but these paper gains don't create any tax burden for you right now, not until you start to sell some of those holdings, draw some of those funds down, which it, from what we can tell, it doesn't sound like that's what you did. Exactly. Which is probably the opposite of any listeners who maybe opened a Robinhood account last year <laughs> and decided to mess mess around with maybe some of the meme stocks, uh, even if they weren't even focusing on the meme stocks. But anytime you sell a, a fund or a stock, anything within uh, a brokerage account like that, you're getting hit with that really long uh, <laughs> bill or whatever that statement is. I guess the 1099 from Robinhood that's going to outline all of that. And that is something that you are liable for. And your CPA is going to charge you extra for <laughs> the hours they have to spend exactly. exactly. They're like, why did you just send over a 30-page PDF <laughs> from Robin Hood? <laughs> My hourly rate, by the way, is, and then you're like, dang it, I got hit hit on two accounts on that front. But um, all right, Matt, let's get to the, the next question. This one is about rewards debit cards. Can you actually get paid to spend with a debit card? That's some, not something we've really covered before. Good morning. This is Elliot from Sandy Springs, Georgia. I really like y'all's podcast, and I had a question regarding cashback rewards on debit cards. I usually pay rent through my debit card, but I have noticed that if you ever pay 
with a credit card it has a high fee. If you had a debit card that gave cash back rewards, you could earn a lot of money based on just paying rent or any major purchase alone, and I want to know your thoughts. All right, Elliot, thanks for that question. And by the way, Sandy Springs, that's not too far from where we live here in Atlanta. But Elliot, most of the time, credit card users, they they don't pay fees for most purchases, right? Although the merchant fees that businesses get charged are certainly factored into what they charge (laughs) for their goods and services. And so it's, you know, by default, we kind of are paying for them. Uh, But we are starting to see more businesses charge higher prices, uh, specifically for credit card users. For instance, gas stations, they're one of the main places where you might get a discount for paying with cash, same with liquor stores. Uh, And that's happening in more and more places, especially with smaller businesses. And typically paying rent you know, or your mortgage with your credit card or debit card is it's almost always either forbidden or it comes with significant fees attached. Uh, and those fees are almost always going to be more significant than the rewards that you could potentially earn. I know. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So, so the fact that Elliot can do this without paying a fee is kind of rare. Like that's most people can't do that. But uh, usually to avoid fees on rent, you're going to need to pay via check, via ACH, right? And debit cards are often going to be charged uh, that f- the same fee as credit cards. And in that case, you, you're not going to be making up for that fee with any meaningful rewards. Your, your rewards would have to be astronomical, and most credit cards don't offer a substantial enough benefit to make up for that fee. And so the only way around this that we know of is a site called Plastic, P-L-A-S-T-I-Q. Yeah, we used to call it Plastique. <laughs> <laughs> then we realized. The, because of the Q, but then yeah. they're like, no, 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 it's plastic. Yep. I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> but, but with a Q. And so, yeah, th- these guys will charge you 2.85% to send a check and run it as a credit card transaction on your behalf. And so, but still, that fee is prohibitive, right? The only way it really makes sense is if you're trying to hit a spend limit to get a sign-up bonus that might be a great tactic to actually reach that five, six, seven hundred dollar sign up bonus. But it doesn't make sense to pay your rent like that every single month because there's no card that we know of where you're going to score a return that's close to three percent every time you use it. Mm-hmm. However, if uh, in your case, if you can actually pay your rent with a debit card without extra fees, go for it, and yeah, yeah we'll, we'll give you a, a, an idea here or two here where you can actually get rewarded on that too. It's derelict. <laughs> That's what I think of every time uh, we say plastique. Uh, yeah, Elliot, in, in our experience, this is extremely rare. But yeah, good for you if this is an option for you. And if so, one debit card that stands like head and shoulders above the rest is by Discover. They've got this no-fee debit card that gives you 1% cash back, and that's without uh, having to jump through any hoops, like a minimum balance uh, or like a certain number of transactions every month. You can earn up to $30 a month. And yeah, so opening an account with Discover, which is it's one of our favorite online banks anyway, and then using that debit card associated with that account to pay rent. That'll give you some, you know, some real money, at least instead of nothing, uh, 1% back when you pay your rent. That's nothing to to sneeze at. And uh, there's one other one too that we came across. Axos, they are a legitimate bank. And I know that from personal experience because my business checking account that I had for photography was through Axos. It used to be the the bank of the internet. That's right. And and then they they got bought out, I guess, by (laughs) Axos, which sounds slightly more legitimate. (laughs) But they have a 1% card as well. They do have a small hoop that you have to jump through. You have to maintain a $1,500 balance. But the upside is is that they say that you can earn a maximum of $2,000 in cash back every single month. Like, not over the course of the year, every single sneaking month. So Elliot would have to be a high roller <laughs> to achieve that bar. 
I mean, I can't imagine that there's somebody out there who's like, oh yeah, I'm I'm throwing down two hundred thousand dollars <laughs> every single month. But according, I mean, literally, we that's just, for people who rent yachts. It is on their website, like at the bottom. It, it it says that that is eligible for signature transactions. Uh, the downside, though, is that you have to deal with Axos's terrible user interface. It's a really bad site. I never enjoyed having to log in there and interact with my uh, my account yeah. through Axos. However, if you are looking at spending maybe a little bit more, where you would earn more than that thirty dollars a month. Access, it's legit and it's worth looking into. Yeah, and Discover still is is is, is another great option. The one yep. percent cashback on the debit. It's one of your favorites. I've been a Discover bank customer now for a few years, and they have a great product. The interface does not suck, which is good. <laughs> exactly. Um, and so, yeah, it's it, definitely a place from, to check out. For most folks, I think Discover is going to be totally fine. But if you are really looking for ways to kind of like work the system, man, check out Access. Yeah, <laughs> depending on how much you pay in rent every every month, this could this could literally be like two hundred fifty bucks a year back in your pocket for like one tiny small move yeah which is which is great so yeah. elliot thanks for the question and for anybody else out there who's like i like to use debit cards you know we prefer credit cards and then paying them off on time and in full every month because the rewards are better and the protections are better uh, but this discover debit card is is at least like the best of an inferior option we would say uh all right matt let's get back to the beer that we had on this episode this one was le petit prince by uh, jester king it's a farmhouse table beer what were your thoughts on this one yeah so a table beer for folks who may not know it's just used to describe a beer typically that is lighter in abv it's just a beer that you have on hand that is easy to drink specifically with meals uh, we, we literally just talked last week about how en vogue the uh, low abv beers are getting oh, and this one kind of this, this started is, that trend this is definitely low what is it it's like two two point two percent which is crazy low uh it made it very enjoyable very easy to drink it's the kind of beer that you literally can have with any meal like there's not it doesn't have like a ton not of overpowering not with your cheerios but <laughs> really any other meals fine uh you can't have it before noon you shouldn't i guess um but it's so good you know and it's even like at two percent like this is something that you probably could have on like a daily basis yeah but really tasty dude like looking back to the beer that we had last week i think you were drawn to it maybe a little more than i was and i think the reason was because it was fruited right what well, it was cherries but when I'm expecting fruit to be in a beer, I'm expecting more flavor. Uh, and so I don't. I feel like I was at odds a little bit because it's like, it's almost like a flavored, it's like a seltzer. It's just like just a touch of flavor <laughs> when I'm like, well, give me the, give me the whole cow. You know, like I don't just want like the little teas, but with this, there's no fruit here. It's just kind of like the standard funky beer flavor. It's got those farmhouse notes going on. And for this, I find myself much more drawn to this without them introducing some additional fruit. Yeah, I, I thought this was like literally like the perfect beer to drink over dinner almost with almost anything. Yeah. Talk about like wine pairings. This beer pairs perfectly with basically like anything you want to eat <laughs> besides breakfast. And yeah, so I, I would say that it was it was like rustic. It had some of those minerally notes oh, yeah. of a yep. table farmhouse style beer which uh, not super funky but had just, just a touch of that That's very and, delightful yeah really nice laid back chill beer not so funky that you're like oh i can totally taste the horse blanket right like <laughs> <laughs> which yeah some of those crappier nerds would say about some of those beers and yeah, stuff. it's like oh, i would even say about some I of can, them i can taste the hog like, <laughs> like that's not necessarily something you always want yeah uh definitely not with every single meal what do you think about the label as well too this it's kind of got like a kind of crazy label it's a little creepy it's so it's latite prince and it's got like this kind of royalty looking dude on it but he kind of looks, looks like, like an Alien? Kind of like a cross between, like between an alien uh, and Voldemort. He's kind of like oh. pale. He doesn't have a nose on his face. Kind of bizarre. That being said, we still love this beer, yes. uh, even with a weird label. And this brewery. So, all right, uh, that's going to do it for, for this episode. If you have a question that you want Matt and me to tackle on an upcoming Ask HTM episode, 
we'd love to hear it. Just go to howtomoney.com slash ask. Really, all you got to do is record a voice memo, include your name and where you live, and send it our way. And yeah, hopefully we'll take it on an upcoming episode in the near future. That's right. We couldn't do these episodes without you, our listeners. And so, uh, and we'll make sure to include any show notes too uh, up on the website there at howtomoney.com. We'll make sure to link to any of the resources we mentioned. Joel, that's going to be it, buddy. Until next time. Best friends out. Best friends out. Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury. The premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Live March 20th from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. Featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Supercharge your work decks with AI-powered Canva presentations. All you do is start with a prompt. You describe your, your presentation in a few words, and Canva presentations will generate captivating slides that you can then customize in seconds. Canva presentations are designed for every workplace and every department. Whether you work in sales, marketing, HR, ops, and more, Canva presentations can generate any deck you want for work. Sales decks, marketing presentations, onboarding plans, you name it. Any department can save time on any presentation with AI. Generate slides and seconds with Canva presentations at canva.com. Designed for work. Upswell Marketing would like to remind listeners that most people don't belong to two gyms. They don't see two dentists or trust two auto repair shops. So when customers choose your small business over your competitors, they're really choosing you. Upswell Marketing's unique approach includes direct mail, search engine marketing, and social media ads. And in fact, that formula and media mix has fueled more than 10,000 small business success stories. And new customers receive 15% off their first order when they mention that they heard about Upswell on this podcast. For more information, visit upswellmarketing.com. Hey, it's Matt here for Health Aid Kombucha. This bubbly probiotic tea blended with real fruit juice is deliciously thirst-quenching and great for your gut health. Health Aid Kombucha comes in many flavors like Pink Lady Apple, Passion Fruit Tangerine, and Ginger Lemon, which is one of my favorites since it has that extra ginger kick. I'm a big fan, though the kids prefer the, the mango lemonade. It's organic, it's non-GMO, and a great alternative to sodas and other sugary drinks. Just look for the brown bottle with an anchor in your local stores. Give it a try today. Make Health Aid Kombucha your go-to for a healthier, happier you.